You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. I'm Veronica Daschle. I'm Elaine Swetman. And I'm Charles Kelso. And we're too busy monkeying around to put anybody down. Welcome back to Monkeying Around. This week, we are joined by Charles Rosanay of Monkey Mania Radio. Uh, but Charles, you're known for many, many other things beyond just Monkey Mania Radio. Why don't you tell us a little about how you got into the monkeys and kind of your fan experience? Well, yeah, I'm a first-generation fan who loved wow. the first AM radio hits and the original TV show. Um, when When I was that age, I was an AM radio addict, and I listened to... The, I listened to radio. If I could have listened 24 hours, I would have, but I <laughs> <laughs> had to sleep in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the parents wouldn't allow it nonstop. Right. <laughs> a little sleep. Um, but what happened is when Sergeant Pepper came about and cream and the doors and Jimi Hendrix and people sort of slid over to FM radio, I didn't slide over. I was, you know, still into that. <laughs> pop sing-along fun music and the Beatles became a little too complicated for a short while mm. in that short while the monkeys filled that gap filled the void for me and I became the big I mean the biggest monkey I had to buy everything there was 16 magazines uh, <laughs> yes there were guys who bought those <laughs> Tiger Beat and all the 45s and all the albums and my folks my my parents are really great about that because you know parents wouldn't allow their kids to buy all this stuff. Not only did they let me buy it, but they didn't throw it out. Oh, you know, wow. <laughs> that was the best part, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, always collected Beatles and monkeys and Gary Puckett and all the stuff from, you know, the sixties and seventies. And uh, it built, I see behind you guys, you have an amazing record collection there. Yeah. If, it's, if it's not a prop and it's not a, <laughs> nope, a it's real. So I have, you know, about that times 800. Anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so always collected, always loved them and always, you know, grew up wanting to be a beetle or a monkey. And there was really Mm. no, no really uh, job, no school for that. So the next best things, I, um, I became a DJ for parties where I was out there entertaining in my own way um, and also started producing uh, conventions, first mm. Beatle conventions in Connecticut, and then Beatle conventions really literally around the world, but all over different co- different parts of this country that didn't already have Beatles conventions. And then I discovered there was a, a monkeys convention in New Jersey put on by a gal uh, named Maggie McManus. Maggie was yep. a monkey business fanzine, and she had a, a partner, Lois Gibson, who was phasing out. And I said, well, you know, Maggie, I do these conventions in Connecticut, I really have a good grasp on things. I think we could bring it from, you know, a hundred people to, you know, four or 500 people. Mm. <laughs> and in 82, we moved the monkeys convention from Jersey to Connecticut and sure enough, doubled or tripled the crowd, but also had Peter Tork as our guest. Oh, wow. And in those, and in those days, you know, there, no beetle, well, aside from Pete Best, you know, the first mm-hmm. trouble, no beetle, <laughs> or monkey had ever done a convention and you never thought they would. I mean, for some reason now everyone does a convention, you know, everyone's signing (laughs) autographs. Everyone is 
that you know in your face person but in those days it was that was an elite thing nobody thought they would ever show up at a convention we had peter and peter was amazing it was a little after john lennon had passed away mm-hmm. so um we did i did an interview with him and he talked he waxed poetic about you know john's passing and how we lose our heroes and all this stuff and he um <clears throat> signed autographs for hours and he uh just hung out and he was great and he performed with monkey mania mm. who was our Monkeys tribute band at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a whole other story. I'm not going to get you. You guys aren't going to. I'm going to just go on. <laughs> I promise I'll let you do one. All right. <laughs> um, uh, Monkey Mania came about because when the show moved from New Jersey to Connecticut, there were no monkey tribute bands to be had in those days. And I said, all right, no problem. I know a lot of musicians. I'll do Davey. <laughs> I can play maracas and tambourines. Um, We'll just uh, we'll just put it together. And we actually did. And uh, for a few months, we were playing in those days, punk clubs, new wave clubs, where where the bands were pretty much all playing pop music, just ridiculously loud and fast. You know, every band band wanted to be the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, who were great (laughs) pop bands at heart. Uh, So we fit in great. We were the opening act for those type of bands. And the club owner said, Oh, I wish we could get more of you kind of guys in here. Wow. <laughs> he loved us. And the punkers were dancing to us. So we knew if we won over that crowd, mm-hmm. that we'd be golden at the convention. So yeah, we played two years of monkey conventions in 82 and 83, but Peter joined us in 82 at when he was at the convention. And that was just a, a highlight. We were friends ever since. Wow. So I, I would imagine that, I mean, playing, if you're playing monkeys hits at a, at a punk club, something like Stepping Stone translates perfectly, but <laughs> did you, did you sort of punk it up or did you go for the daydream believers and songs yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, it was in our set. So if our set was, you know, 12 songs, we were going to play those 12 songs there and yeah. the Stepping Stone just blew the roof off the place. And I think sure. the band As after I think the band after us, uh, the Poodle Boys or whatever the heck they were, <laughs> I think they did a version of it too, just you know, to say we can do it too. Um, <laughs> uh, that went over great. We we punked up Let's Dance On. Okay. Um, and wow. Pleasant Valley Sunday. And I'm a believer that we rocked them. You know, we played them a little faster than sure. we did at the convention. But sure enough, we did This Just Doesn't Seem to Be My Day and oh. uh, Cuddly Toy and yeah. Daydream, wow. Daydream Believer. Yeah, we did all the ballads too. And they went over just as well. I would love to see a punk club singing along to Cuddly Toy. That would be amazing. <laughs> Dude, I wish there was video of that. We did this one club, Three Brothers, where we played a bunch. And then a club in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which was a dangerous place to play in those days. And uh, we were really worried. But it was a few blocks from the Bridgeport convention where we were mm-hmm. having Bridgeport, Connecticut, where we were having the convention at the Holiday Inn at the time. So we already decided we were going to do an after party there. And we would play the the venue prior to to make sure that we sound checked and sounded good, and man, we we were so tight. It was like the best possible show, and the crowd just ate it up. You know, I was it was a, a great feeling to know that yeah, you're gonna play in front of the monkey fans, and even if I stop singing, they're gonna sing along. You yeah. Know? It, it was the, you know, in an era where there was some star for monkey stuff, that black 
whole area between the mm-hmm. monkey ending and 1986. Right in that time, everything you could soak up between Ma- Maggie's monkey business fanzine and solo appearances and conventions was just a godsend to fans. Mm-hmm. And I was a fan first. So to be able to, to be Davey and play <laughs> Mania and be surrounded by amazing musicians, John Sheridan, who's um who was our uh, front guy. He looked in those days like Nesmith. And he mm. uh, and he played great and he sounded great. And he was kind of the, if you know Beatlemania, he was the Mitch Weissman of the band. Okay. He was the one who looked like it, sound liked it, you know, fit yeah. the bill perfectly. And he's prior to that and subsequent to that has played pretty much every East Coast Monkeys convention there's ever been oh, wow. as a solo artist or with, you know, duos and trios. And the, the drummer um, was from another band who happened to be a new wave drummer so that was perfect and bill last who was my music director who did every other musical part whether it was keyboards or bass or or guitar whatever the fill-in was um was a monkey's fanatic from day one and mm. it was just you know second nature to him to add the harmonies and to give us what parts we were playing how we were singing and all that I'm yeah. really proud of it. We have we have very rough, horrible quality cassettes <laughs> that fans recorded at the convention. But if I could have had video of that, that would have been unbelievable. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So I would guess when when Peter Tork takes the stage with you, he's going to have more lead vocals than he would have you know, at a at a traditional monkey show. You would think. Okay. All right. So we <laughs> uh, had a very primitive sound system. And we on stage heard him really clearly, you know, on mm. the lines. it turned out that he didn't have uh, either a mod. We, we had the monitor, but his vocal mic was one mic too many. So the oh. sound man didn't know which mics to give out. And it was a case of either <laughs> from Bill or me or any of the guys. And his was the mic that apparently oh, no. did not go out. So you're hearing us doing the harmonies with him <laughs> and no leads. If I remember correctly, I, and I, I might be wrong on that, but that was what I, that's what I was told when pe- when we walked off and people were just standing ovation. And then a few people said, yeah, how come you didn't have Peter's mic on? And we went, well, <laughs> what? Oh, no. <laughs> like, whose mic do I turn on? The monkey. Turn, turn the monkey's mic on. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, you you said that you you were a Beatles fan first, and then you, as they sort of went more trippy, you sort of, the monkeys filled that spot for you. How old were you when you were into the Beatles? So my first memory in life was seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Wow. And, um, you know, I wrote a book, so, you know, recently called The Book of Top Ten Horror Lists, where mm-hmm. celebrities give me their favorite, you know, horror themes and Mickey's in it and Bobby Hart, Christian S. There's about eight, nine monkey chapters, which I had to do for my monkey peeps. And, right. there's, <laughs> and there's about nine beetle chapters, which I had to do for my beetle, you know, folks. And um, I mentioned that because when I wrote the book, I remembered something that I don't know was if it was before Ed Sullivan or after Ed Sullivan, but it was seeing the movie Bride of Frankenstein with my mom, which got me into the into the monster stuff and loving this stuff. But yeah, so I was a little, you know, a little cocker. I don't know how old. And uh, Ed Sullivan was was the first memory in life. By next week when they were on again, I had my grandma's ukulele. I had a Beatles <laughs> I was lip syncing in front of that black and white TV, you know, shaking my head. And there's pictures of that embarrassingly enough. That's adorable. <laughs> that's <is> awesome. <laughs> we were just recently at a, a Beatles convention and we saw the little 
the wigs they used to sell. They had a little museum set up and they had the little authentic Beatles wig, you know, for, I, I, I would guess for the kids whose, whose moms wouldn't let them grow their hair out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember going to a barber and I, I was a young kid and had no say. And mom would give me the same what's comparable to a buzz cut, you know, right. yeah. kids would get in the in the 60s. And I said to the barber. I want a Beatles haircut. And he said in his thick Italian Bronx accent, yeah, you and every other kid, shut up or I'll cut your ear off. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) So when the, when the, when the monkeys had their sort of resurgence in the eighties, did you see a big uh, like upturning in the, in the attendance at the conventions? Well, sure. So in 86, um, I was, in the right place, right time. Uh, I knew the venue very well. It was the Concord Hotel in the Catskills. Mm. And I used to go with my parents to the resorts in the Catskills growing up. We'd go on holidays and for special events. So when I heard um, that the monkeys were part of a package that was going to be there with some of my other fit, Herman's Hermits, Gary, yeah. you know, holy yeah. crap. This is unbelievable. The grassroots. I'm like, I'm there. I went a week before because they had a singles weekend and I was single at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I went there a week before, um, stayed the whole week, not knowing that the monkeys and the grassroots and Gary Puppet and uh, Herman's Hermits were all there for a week prior rehearsing. (laughs) So guys, I got to play softball with Mickey and Davey. I got to play. Uh, uh, Peter didn't play softball because they, they, they had a game room that had all the newest Atari, uh, you know, Pac-Man, <laughs> whatever, whatever was out of, uh, Space Invaders. So I played a lot of that with him. Um, it was just unbelievable. I had front row and that was their first ever tour. And the crowd wow. beyond, beyond. And as you know, it went from that playing in a room of a thousand or 2000 to 20,000. Right. Yeah. The very, the very next year I co-produced the national monkeys convention in New Jersey. And we had Mickey, Peter, Davey, Boyce and Hart, Henry Diltz. It was like the who's who it was just historic. And wow. uh, so that was, that was really un- unbelievable. But yeah, when 86 hit, you know, the monkeys were the hottest, they were selling as many tickets as I don't know who else was out there, you know, uh, Toto. I don't know. <laughs> whoever, whoever was the other hot Elton John or, or, or Billy Joe, whoever was the other hot top, you know, top 10 um, concerts uh, in performance or billboard, the monkeys were right up there. And as they were going and they were building up steam in 86, 87, 87, weird Al Yankovic opened for them as right. they were going, they were playing bigger venues and David Fishoff was their, their, you know, booking agent and manager. And he's, this is gold. I'm going to keep booking them as long as they don't screw up, which they eventually did somehow with MTV. But anyway, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be thrilling to see some, I mean, after working the conventions and, you know, small room conventions and things like that for a number of years to see this big resurgence and suddenly you're seeing the monkeys and, you know, crowds of 20,000 people. It was great. You know, after being an apologist, right. For most of the late seventies and early eighties, you know, I started doing the Beatle conventions in the late seventies and I started doing Beatle tours to Liverpool in 83, where Mm. we go to all the Beatle sites and all that. And I remember it was 83 or 84. And there was one guy on the trip and I was playing Beatle songs, but I throw in, you know, a couple monkey songs, 
And I would talk about how much I love the monkeys. And he was so pissed. How dare you? (laughs) I'm not comparing. I'm just playing playing music I love. It holds up. Daydream Believer is as good as any, you know, not as well. I'm getting in trouble if I say it. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I love it as much. You know, growing up, people say, what's your favorite Beatles song? Uh, Favorite song of all time? Expecting me to come up with, and I would say, Daydream Believer. They go, really? Not a Beatles song? I go, all right, I'm not getting in trouble. Okay, it's here, there, and everywhere. I would give them <laughs> to placate them. But sure enough, you know, I, I remember how, you know, you had to be either uh, careful of admitting you were a Monkees fan or be ready to defend it. Right. That, yeah. changed. that changed. Now, all of a sudden, the Monkees were hip. They were retro. They were cool. And they're mm-hmm. selling out concerts and they're just amazing and fun and uh it was a great time to be producing conventions and being in the thick of things so going from the small shows you know with 500 or whatever people to an event right. you know, had thousands i actually did a turnaround a few years ago right before covid you know peter had passed and i did uh the peter torque memorial monkeys convention in connecticut right uh-huh. It felt like those original shows back in the 80s because we had a few hundred people, four or 500 people. We showed, you know, a tribute uh, to him that was done by anyone you can imagine contributed a video piece. It was Nesmith. It was Mickey. It was Peter. You name it. Um, all these great people contributed and all the vendors and all the bands. And it was just, you know what? I thought, OK, we could have had a thousand dollars and I could have actually made money. But <laughs> but having it like this is the way this convention was supposed to be. Right. It was yeah. very special. It was a year after, I think a year after he passed, it was on the the anniversary of him passing, the same month of his birthday in February, and in Connecticut where he spent most of his life. So all, right. those, all those elements made for a really, really, I would say almost perfect show. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, we perform Veronica and I as puppeteers as, at a lot of conventions in half for the last decade. I mean, the big ones like dragon Con, there's 85,000 people and then small ones where there's, you know, 150 people we're doing shows for five people in a room, you know, <laughs> which uh, I mean, we love both because it, there's such an intimacy to those small conventions where you mm-hmm. just feel like you can just walk up and talk to anybody and everyone's just a little family and, you know, it's, it's less of a big corporate thing and more yeah. of just, just, People who are just getting together for something that they love. Yeah, I, I yeah. went to Dragon Con because, along with the, all the other stuff, I you know, Beatle tours. I do Dracula tours to okay. Transylvania. Nice. You know, nice. <laughs> and so one year I thought, well, look, I got to get word out in Atlanta. I got to get everyone there to know, and it was overwhelming. I mean, I was mm. in one <laughs> building, and I don't think people made it ever to that building. You know, there's so many uh, facets to that level of a a convention. And for people who don't know who are listening, you know, it's like the biggest Comic-Cons, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the most ridiculous. If I'm in a place where I can talk to 50 people Mm -hmm. about a book or about what I'm doing, I will get more success than if there's uh, 50,000 people who are zipping by because there's too many tables and and it's overwhelming to them as an attendee even more so than it is to someone like myself, who's a vendor or a, or a promoter at those events. Right. So I hear you. I hear exactly what you say. Have you ever done puppeteering at a Beatles show or at a monkey show? We have not. No. We have not. Mm. Although we do have a Nez puppet. Yeah. We've done several tributes um, over the years, but not at a Beatles or a monkey show. Well, not we'll yet. That. We'll do our next one. You're <laughs> on. I'm working on a monkey's book. So okay. when that awesome. comes out, It'll give me impetus to do another monkeys convention. I certainly didn't want to do one after 
Mike passed. Mm. Right. Because then it looked like, okay, you did one in 2013 when they when we lost Davey, and that one was a, a, a gigantic show. And I did it with Jody Ritson and mm-hmm. uh, I did it with a few other uh, producers. And it was just, it was historic in its own way, you know, having Davey's daughters and having David Cassidy and Peter. Right. And it was just amazing. And to be able to host that and to be able to interview everybody, it was just a, a pure joy. But then the next show I do is what is after Peter passes. Mm. So I didn't want yeah. God forbid anyone say, oh yeah, okay. So what are you gonna do the next one when Mickey pa-? no, no, let Mickey be here forever and let me not <laughs> ever do a convention again. Right. But if I do a book, I and then it well, I know when I do the book and when it comes out, uh hopefully I'll even do a small convention just as a launch for the book. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think anything that you can do to get the fans together, because that's what keeps it all alive. Mm-hmm. You know, even more so than the big tours is just the fans that just keep the flame burning all these years. Yep. You know, I mean, so we, we've talked about it before on the show that we we came to the monkeys very late compared to most people. Yeah. But the reason it was there for us is because the fans kept it alive all these years. Yep. You know, yep. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the, the more that you can get the fans together and just the fans celebrating whether there's a monkey there or not is that's that's what that's what keeps it going. It's interesting. I was just thinking about it. We so we have on this podcast today um, a original monkeys fan, an '80s monkeys fan, and 50th anniversary monkeys fan. (laughs) Johnny come (laughs) lately. That's fantastic. And that's and that really um, sums up going to see Mickey now or going to a convention. Because, yeah, it's the three generations of seeing them, but it's also three generations of age fans. You'll see mm-hmm. a grandparent with a with their child, with their grandchild. Mm-hmm. And don't, yeah, you know, you don't see that. You won't see that at cosplay events. You mm-hmm. won't see that. Beatles conventions you did for a while, but that older demographic is almost getting into the Elvis age where you know, <laughs> they're not going to conventions anymore, perhaps. And if they are, you know, their kids uh, were outgrew their, the, the parents love of the Beatles. For some reason, the monkey, the monkey um, fandom has really, really stayed and stayed with multi-generations. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it because it's so accessible to kids because um, the, the songs are more fun. You know, the the things like the TV show definitely appeal to younger audiences, no matter when you were born. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's amazing now that you've got things like Monkey Mania Radio that just plays the monkeys all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when or monkeys related. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, hearing yeah, all the gems to- that you, you guys have on there. Well, it has to be. Because we found out, um, and it was a shock, that you can't play 24 hours of Just Monkeys music. Right. There's there's um, FCC and there's regulations that unless you're a college radio or unless you're doing things underground, you can't play nonstop Monkeys music. So we thought, okay, we'll play all the solo music. Okay, we'll get into the outtakes and the deep cuts. Mm-hmm. And as we were going, we're thinking, well, shouldn't we be playing you know, their, their kids' music? Uh, Christian Nesmith and all mm-hmm. yeah, of course. And then it was like, well, wait a second. At Weird Al toured with should that and they became not <laughs> six degrees of separation, but that <laughs> playlist grew and grew and grew. And as the DJ, see, I don't do I don't play music. I'm not a part of that programming. Right. But as mm-hmm. the DJs got creative, you know, they would 
add music by people that the audience probably never heard their stuff. So it became twofold. It became hearing the hits. It became hearing, oh, yeah, yeah, we haven't heard, you know, uh, um, this one in, in so long. We don't hear Shorty Blackwell that well, that much. We're hearing, you know, some cuts. Right. That, if you listen to AM radio and they're an oldie station, you can hear three monkey songs. Sparksville. <laughs> I'm a believer and daydream believer and maybe Pleasant Valley Sun. You'll get maybe <laughs> more in whatever rotation they're playing stuff. And um, and you won't get Teardrop City. I mean, which is like <laughs> unbelievable. One of my favorite songs. So we were definitely going to play every bit of the Monkees catalog plus their solo catalog, plus mm-hmm. give the DJs the um, the flexibility to bring in things and let, let the audience not only be educated, which is what college radio was all about in the day, but right. also, but also to see if they could figure out what's the connection between, um, you know, this artist, Lawrence Juber, who was a member of Wings. What's his connection with the monkeys? Why am I interviewing him for the monkeys interview show? And why would his music be played aside from what he was with wings? Well, that has nothing to do with the monkeys. Well, yeah, he played guitar on that was then this is now (laughs) he's the lead guitarist on that and kicks. So unless you know, or unless the DJ tells you it becomes that mystery Googling Lawrence Juber monkeys. <laughs> and I think that's a fun, fun aspect of it. So when I signed on, Alan Williams created the station mm-hmm. and uh, the jocks were just unbelievable. Ken Mills from the Zilch podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Marty Ross, who was one of, you know, the original, oh, well, one of the new monkeys. <laughs> right. <laughs> I almost said original new monkeys, but I guess <laughs> um, Jody, who we mentioned, you know, who's very active with Mickey and in the monkeys world. And then um, uh, uh, Doug Eubler and Mick Fleet and more people joined on as part of the station as we went. And I'm going to leave someone out and they're going to be angry at me, but oh, well. <laughs> um, uh, Scott Catton. Sorry, Scott. Yep. Um, w- what happened is, I said, I, I would love to do it, but I would love to do the interview show. I've interviewed the guys so many times on stage at my Beatles conventions. I've interviewed Cynthia Lennon, Richie Havens, Davey, everyone you could imagine who has ever been at a convention I've I've interviewed. And I know I'm great at that because I'm right. funny. Because I'm funny. <laughs> so, you know, the, you know the, the, I'll say things that'll just make the audience laugh. One example was um, we had... Uh, it was at one of the monkeys conventions and we had Davey, we had Mickey, we had Peter. And I looked to the door and I go, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Nesmith. And everyone stands up. I go, sit down, shut up. I'm coming <laughs> 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 here. <laughs> So I thought if I could bring the, my stupid humor to um, a good, you know, a good interviewing show and dig out all my archives. Cause I had, interviews with Peter and Mickey mm. and Dave Cassidy and all, all these great interviews and funnel them in along with new interviews with all probably the same people that you get to or are going to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Now the challenge is now after starting this in the pandemic or two, you know, it's my second year. Um, when it started, I was doing two hours and it was two interviews a week. And I said, it's just, I just want to do one a week. Um, right. it's, easier That's a lot. it's easier to promote the hour uh, and do one. And um, 
what I've found is I'm, I'm running out of people. So, you know, mm. I'll dig into the well and do, you know, multiples. Eventually I'll interview you guys on my show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> but um, That's really what I, I love doing. And I said, if I can do that, I would love to have a radio shift. And so it was, it was a win-win because it also gave them, little credibility that they had Charles Rosene on with Joe. <laughs> yeah. And we were kind of pseudo celebrities in the monkey's world. And it was more of a joy for me, you know, being on the air. Now, mind you, I started in college radio mm-hmm. and I was playing, you know, the knack and squeeze and whoever was, you know, the, the great pop bands at the time. And it was Charles Rosene's rock and roll potpourri on WSCB. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in college radio, I learned a lot, but hated it. I hated talking to that glass. Right. And I needed to be in front of an audience. And very soon I became a party DJ and would do all my shtick in front of the crowd. And I would, it wasn't just playing the songs. It was lip syncing the songs I was playing. If I played a Beatles song for the crowd, I put on a Sergeant Pepper outfit. (laughs) You know, I had the toy guitars and the, the horns for the Motown. So it was more of a show. And I loved doing that. And I thought, great, I can't be a good musician. I'm not, I I was able to get away as Davey, but I'm not a singer, so to speak. Um, This is my lot in life. And for four decades, you know, I've been doing that. I've been DJing weddings and bar mitzvahs and sweet 16s and dances and all that stuff. But but I never thought I'd go back into radio hmm. and I'm loving it because of the interview format that I'm able to do. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and similarly, you know, I always said I would never put out a book. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why the, the question you have to say is, why, Charles, why wouldn't you of all people put out a book? Why? Why wouldn't you put out a book? Thank you. Why? Why wouldn't you put out a book? Well, for you, <laughs> one more. Why? Why wouldn't you put out a book? That was the best presentation. That was. <laughs> that, was. That, was the, that was the best of deliveries. Thank you. A dramatic beat in the middle of that. <laughs> so, guys, I published a magazine called Good Day Sunshine. Okay. Which was a Beatles magazine, and I did that for nearly twenty years. And each issue was eighty to one hundred pages. And I felt by putting it out bi monthly, I thought, hey, I'm putting out, I'm putting out a book six times a year. When that ran its course, I said, I'm never ever going to, you know, edit and type and put out a book again. I, that was it. I was done. In fact, I put out one issue with a monkey's cover. It was the Pizza Hut commercial. Mm-hmm. So it was Ringo with yeah. Dave, Mickey and Peter. And right. it, uh, it was it was a great cover. It was bright and colorful. And I said, you know what? I'm doing it and I don't care. And most of the people were, up, you know, I got thumbs up from most of the people for it. <laughs> yeah. There were, those, there were those, you know, how dare you put the monkeys on the cover of a book. <laughs> anyway, anyway, during COVID, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I, I have nothing to do. I'm, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm watching horror movies with the kids. I'm on the treadmill trying to stay in shape. I'm not <laughs> DJing, right? I'm not doing my tours, my Beatle tours, my Dracula tours, no tours. I'm certainly not producing conventions. Right. So I thought, wait, wait a second. I'm going to do a few books. And I thought, a Beatles book, there's 5 billion of them. It's too obvious. What else do I love? And I love the monster, you know, movies and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I know enough celebrities. I know enough people in show business, pop culture icons who <laughs> if I contact them. They're home alone also not doing it. <laughs> So before I knew it, I put together the book of 
top 10 horror lists. And I got to do it in my face or it's never clear. Let's see, it's still <laughs> not clear. I have it fuzzed out. Anyway, book of top 10 horror lists. As I mentioned, you know, uh, Beatles and Monkeys, but people like William Shatner, wow. the Monsters, Ed Asner, a lot of really, really cool celebrities gave me their top 10 lists. And I got that bug that I wanted to do more books. And real quickly, I put out something called Ghost Stories of Connecticut, which mm. is doing phenomenal. Um, I'm selling it at paranormal conventions and those kind of events. But in the pipeline, I'm doing a Beatles follow-up to the book of top 10 horror list called the book of top 10 Beatle lists, where celebrities give me their top 10 favorite Beatle themes. Wow. Awesome. And then a I monkey like book, which I'm not going to tell you about till I'm on next time. Okay. <laughs> Give you what it's about because yes. it's pretty special and it hasn't been done. Awesome. And, then, and then I'm doing a turtles discography. Nice. Um, nice. Because yeah, I feel that there's a handful of those 60s bands who are just unbelievable who should be in the what? Mm-hmm. The rock and roll hall right. of fame. Yep. Starting mm-hmm. with the monkeys, starting with mm-hmm. the monkeys, followed by the turtles, followed by the Raiders Paul Raiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those it drives me crazy. And someday, yeah, the fans will vote, and someday those bands will be there. But by that time, I, I don't. I hope that all the any of the members of the band are bands are yeah. still alive to right. see themselves because Davey would have loved that honor. Davey, to uh, it, he bled monkeys. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. in New York and you would say, "Oh, Derek, Derek Jeter bled Yankee Blue Stripes," you know the best <laughs> correlation. Dev, Davey, you know, lived and breathed and loved the monkeys despite a few years of, you know, putting it down or trying not to, uh, whatever the (laughs) case is, the way Mickey is now and the way Peter finally got to be and the way Nez finally got to be. David Mm -hmm. was all along. He always got that. It would have been great if he got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while he was still here Mm -hmm. to love it appreciate it but anyway so uh yeah so a turtles discography because there isn't a, a real good definitive version of that and there's still so many monkey connections you know the monkeys and turtles did the same christmas song written by chip douglas and chip mm-hmm. douglas produced them both and he played bass in both and there's endless you know um overlaps uh so i'm looking forward to putting those out and then you know figuring out what's after that you know i'm just i'm just getting going i have so many <laughs> So many things in the pipeline, and I just saw so much energy, and I love doing all the things I'm doing. And watch me get hit by a car tomorrow. This will be my epitaph. Nope. Oh, only, he's only getting going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. That's awesome. Drew Leiter here, inviting you to join Cletus Jacobs and I as we journey into a new era of the DC Universe, Dawn of the DC. Join us each week as we review comics, television, and movies. There might even be a surprise guest or two along the way. Thanks for your continued support, and we look forward to talking more DC with you. Sort of shifting gears a little bit. I mean, you've got an IMDb. You've you've made some appearances, and Elaine was was just telling us I, I about would, it. I was googling. Yeah. So what were you I just do. telling us that you watched Elaine? Um. Oh, Flight of the Concords. You were in an episode of Flight of the Concords, one of my favorite shows ever. I was the other Elton John. Me you and were. Well, were the combating Elton Johns. It was uh, the guys from Flight of the Concord who had gotten a gig as Simon and Garfunkel. 
and they were horrible. And they were yeah, they were abominable. And they were <laughs> um, on the bill though with all these other lookalike tribute acts. And Patton Oswald was the Elton John who was pissed because they also booked a different Elton John who was me. Yes, <laughs> and, and now we're in the corner like. And then I'm chasing him at the end. Um, That was a great, great experience. Um, I got to wear the uh, Elton Bangs, a hat. They put a a gap in my tooth. Oh, wow. That sold it. That from that point on, I was Elton. (laughs) (laughs) Platform shoes. That was a great it's a great gig. And I'll tell you how that happened. Cause if you look at the rest of my credits, there's a lot of grade Z horror movie stuff and short films, right. um, a few, few national things, but I got that really strange. Cause in my um, resume at the time, it said imitates Paul McCartney, Elton John. Uh, no, no, no. Imitates uh, Paul McCartney, Billy Joel, Davy Jones, and, and endless others. And they <laughs> said, we understand you do uh, rock and roll impersonations. And I go, yes. Because, <laughs> because you're taught that you say yes to anything. Do you, <laughs> do you skateboard on the ice of roofs on? Yes. yes. <laughs> and they said, have you ever done Elton John? And I go, have I ever? <laughs> I wasn't lying, guys, because I didn't say yes. <laughs> well, I honestly did. Because in DJing, I would put on that the hat and the big glasses. And mm-hmm. I would lip sync to crocodile rock mm. and this was the crocodile doing the crocodile rock i remember when rock was young i mean we're jumping around so i used to imitate him so in that respect i said well i know every song i probably i have no idea what they're gonna have me do and as it turned out what it was five seconds anyway so that was yeah. fun but that was a great gig and yeah i'm in a lot of cool credits i'm probably more proud of the two rock and roll related things that I was in my first credit ever was I contributed to something called the complete Beatles. Mm. I gave audio and that was way before there was an anthology way before get back and all that. So I, I provided audio to that and that was my first listed credit, but not as being in it. And my second credit was for a film called a gun for Jennifer, which was, I guess this um, horror movie that I was never in, but I auditioned for it. And I was too busy, so I couldn't be in it. But somehow my name is in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get paid for it? No, I didn't pay oh. none of this stuff. But <laughs> you don't do you don't do this stuff. It's <laughs> fun, believe me. Um, I I that catapulted because I was able when early on when people said, "Well, what are your credits?" Oh, look at this. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> so I had credits and when you have one credit you can you know so, somehow parlay it into a lot more but I also am in the film uh, uh, uh what it's the Rolling Stones film is directed by Scorsese um uh shine a light mm. and at the end when the Stones finished their concert at the Beacon Theater which was captured amazing it's one of the best concert films Martin Scorsese did amazing on it uh, I, I'm I'm backstage as a roadie and I put the robe on one of the guys as they walk off the stage. And I just remember I'm, I'm never going to make the final cut. So I put it on so re- weirdly where I'm like just facing the camera. <laughs> and sure enough, I get seen in it. I went to see it in a theater. It did a one week run <clears throat> and we went with a bunch of my friends. And at that scene, 
my whole row stands up and gives me a standing <laughs> ovation. And the, and the rest of the theater say, well, it's not over. Why are you applauding? And, and, and it. But most of the other stuff is, if, if you watch it, it's really goofy and fun horror shorts and yeah. uh, had a lot of fun with it. My last thing I did pre-COVID was um, a horror movie called um, Night at the Eagle Inn, which got a mm. lot of great reviews, actually was distributed nationally. And okay. I play I play the demented cross-dressing debutante. Okay. All <laughs> right. Absolutely. I don't know how the director, the filmmaker said I could be perfect for it. <laughs> You know what? I learned I learned early along with not saying, you know, saying yes to everything. Just have fun with this stuff and go mm-hmm. overboard, you know, over mm. the top. It's yeah. not hard for my personality to go over the top. <laughs> and uh, thank goodness it's been, you know, it's been a fun ride. And I continue to, to lead life that way. And I want my kids to be that way. And they're so shy and they're in theater and they're so great and singing and all that stuff. And, and they're reading me their, you know, their monologue. And I go, no. Be more dramatic. (laughs) They can, and I get it because at that age I couldn't either. It wasn't until college that I broke out, Mm -hmm. took some communication classes, and you know, before that I would pee in my pants to have to talk in front of an audience. I was so scared. (laughs) But now, give me a microphone, give me a forum, and I can go on forever. And I and I, I I love doing it, and it's funny because with my kids they're amazing and they're great and they're talented i got to say that now in case they ever hear obviously Um, (laughs) but they will not listen no come on dad we can't that's embarrassing we can't put those extra words in we can't go over top my (laughs) school of thought is listen to this all you actors out there if you go over the top and you overact a producer or director can always tone you down Yep. But you underact and you're boring and you just deliver the lines like the 50 other people who do it, you will not stand out and they will not say, oh, you are good. I'm going to make you be better and make you be louder. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. The Charles yeah. School of <laughs> Acting Advice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was which I never thought we'd talk about on a monkey's program. <laughs> I, I'm actually a theater major. Um, and yes. I, so I was going to ask you if you had any like theater training, you said you did communications in college. That's it. So I did I, in, in college. I thought I'm going to go into advertising. You know, I was going to be Darren, <laughs> from, Darren from bewitched. I was going to with great campaigns. So I got my degree in um, studio art and graphics. And I was um, one semester away from, I did 20 whatever credits every semester. I was, I couldn't do the minimum 16, whatever. I was going crazy. And I was producing <laughs> conventions at the time and publishing the magazine at the time. I mean, I was started doing conventions right out of high school. And I said, um, well, I only need, you know, six more credits. Can I get a degree if I, if I do those two classes? And they go, well, it's never been done in the school before. I, go, I don't care. I, I have enough <laughs> Can I get six more and get a communication degree? I was doing radio. I was doing video. I was doing they go, all right, well, you have to go another semester. That was their new rule. I go, okay, I'll go another semester. Well, when that semester ended, I was one class away from a journalism degree. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, can I do it again? And they go, well, there's there's really, this never been done. And I go, well, you know what? I don't need to do it. I'm already doing my conventions. I don't need that degree. So I got my two degrees and I thought, well, you know, I'll everything I do, those will help with. 
and advertising certainly did, and the communication certainly did, and all the above. Um, But when it came to theater, I did TV, I did radio, I did um, everything but actual theater. Mm. Now, Now, fast forward to a year ago, my daughter, who was a theater major, who's now in law school because she wants to do entertainment law, um, was the company manager at a theater in Connecticut. And part of that was um, she co-wrote a show and it became a musical and she co-wrote the songs in it. And um, in the show, there's an author who's kind of the narrator, so to speak. And he's on stage and he reads as the thing is going on. And the show sold out for six weeks. And nice. every, every show was capacity. And I saw her three or four times. I loved it. I was proud of her. She was in the control booth, not only doing the, the prompts, but there was um, uh, visuals in the back, screen slides, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. So she was also yeah, scrim. Yeah. very, very talented. I wish I could be as talented as she is. And, and so my daughter said, uh, Dad, the author can't make the last show. <laughs> two, two days before, can you fill in for him? And I said, you know, I've done everything in the world except theater. Hmm. And then I remembered my my advice to everyone in the world. And what is that? Say yes. 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 (laughs) And it was a kind of a cheat because the author has this big book in front of him, which is a prop. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So the the real actor who did it, he knew every every line. Yeah. Spent two days reading it, and I brought the script. (laughs) So I had the script in the book, and I nailed it. Nice. Said, hopefully you can do this again in the future. And I said, well, hopefully your main actor will be here if it's. (laughs) So, so the great news is the show uh, was sold to an equity theater company, which is moving there. And then after that, hopefully off Broadway, and who knows? So that's very exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. It's the story of the world's greatest athlete who you guys have never heard of, who you will Google and your mind will be blown. Her name was Joan Joyce. And Joan Joyce was the world's greatest softball player who struck out Ted Williams and Hank Aaron and all these amazing people. She's in 21 Hall of Fames. When wow. she retired from softball, she took up basketball and was a champion. When she retired from that, she did tennis and golf and was world champions at those and then when she was finally retired from all of the above, she went on to coaching. And this is her story in the show, you know, of Joan Joyce. And there's a book out, which came out first, followed by the musical. And now there's a children's book coming out on it. And hopefully we'll see it someday in the big screen. That's cool. amazing. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Because the way you were talking about over overacting and everything made me think like that would be perfect for the stage because that's something that's so hard to to get out of people on the stage is they want to act like they're right there in front of you like they're acting for the camera but you have to overact for those people to see you and it was um so I grew up doing theater my my dad did theater and uh, I was born the year he was playing pseudolus and a funny thing happened on the way to the form so and he was he played Tevye more times than I can count um And it's always it was interesting when I started doing film, we do Star Trek fan films as well. Um, I was like, I told the director, "Okay, I'm going to need you to pull me back because I tend to overact. (laughs) And if you see that episode, (laughs) you will see I'm the one that's there going like, yes, let's do this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone 
else is just like chill and relaxed and just <laughs> oh, chill. I'm yep. there going. <laughs> <laughs> you have to project and you yes. have to be personality and you have to be the one that when people walked away, half of them will say, wasn't she the great one? And that let the other half say, oh my God, she was so loud and obnoxious. That doesn't matter. <laughs> They're, yes. they're, they're, they're talking about you. Right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you, you get that a lot in real life too, don't you, Brock? I do. <laughs> about half and half. <laughs> so I, I would guess that, you know, going back to the monkeys for a minute, podcast. I mean, you, we, we know that you, you got to take the stage with Peter and we know that you, you've met the guys a lot of times over the years. Do you have any particular um, memories that, you know, of, of your time knowing them and being friends with them? So many, so many. I remember bringing uh, Davey on stage. <clears throat> this was after we knew each other from, you know, softball and after, well, playing softball with him was very interesting because um, he hit a line. I was pitching, he hit a line drive wow. right on my leg. I'm like on the ground in pain. <laughs> oh, oh, he's running the bases. He doesn't, he's the only one. Running. He doesn't care if I'm okay. <laughs> this, this is his game. He's going to get inside the park home run while I'm laying there. Um, yep. Yep. He, uh, he was, we were at a convention and he had a great, you know, he had a great sense of humor and this was uh, let's see. Well, so I had him at a Beatles convention in the mid eighties. And um, the deal was we'd interview him on stage and then he would do a gig with his band at the time. And, some either the next day or in the afternoon, um, we would do an autograph session for an hour. And if I was smart, I would have had him do the autograph session the next day. So I'd get people to come twice. I don't know if I was, <laughs> but I remember that the autograph session we had in the contract was an hour and he stayed close to three hours. Cause he said, every fan who's in line, I got to give them. And in those days they didn't charge for autographs. Wow. Yeah. 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 Amazing that way. And then the, and in 87, a few years later, when we had the national monkeys convention, I was the one who was doing, I did the Phil Donahue I had someone else on stage interview, but I was the one who ran through the crowd, mm-hmm. dance, yeah. which I really wanted to do that year. And um, backstage I go, okay, uh, do you remember me? I'm such and such. And he goes, shook hands and he says, of course, I remember you, blah, blah, blah. And then when he's ready to go on, um, before we open the door, I go, have a good show. And he goes, I believe I shook your hand already. He was just being Davey, you know, for, but for a second there, it's like, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> my, my Peter was great. You know, he was a, a guest at a Beatles convention in I want to say 2000 or uh, maybe 2000, no, 2009. And it was in Connecticut where he lived anyway. And I said, Peter, I want you to be a guest at my Beatles convention. You've been at all these monkey conventions. David, (laughs) Peter show you never have. He goes, well, what am I going to do at a Beatles convention? I go, what you do at every convention? You'll sing your songs. You'll sign autographs. You'll sell stuff. We'll have fun. I'll interview you, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay, that's great. And then uh, a week to go, I call him up and I go, um, Peter, I kind of lined up some TV appearances for us. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you did, didn't you? <laughs> so, and uh, so we went to uh, Hartford, Connecticut, which was closer to him. Uh, we jumped in his, he had a racing car. I can't remember what it was. And we went together to the station and uh, we did an on, you know, to talk about the convention. And, the, and it was funny because I'm talking and, I started to to promote my show and he puts his hands over my face and he goes, enough about this guy. Let's talk about Peter Tork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was hysterical. Mickey, just endless, endless, great memories. And, and it's not just 
of concerts and is not playing softball with him and seeing on stage. He, he, as I mentioned, you know, he contributed a great, great uh, chapter to my book of top 10 horror lists. He's always really been there for me. And I, I just, the, the, all the guys have, and I love him for that. Um, but what, what comes to mind is seeing him out of his element. I saw him in a lot of uh, Broadway things. He was in Greece. I saw him in Greece. Oh, I would he, love I, to have seen him in those. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Aida. He was unbelievable. He was in Pippin, but the one that stands out is the one that so few fans have heard of. And it's called comedy is hard. It played a, short limited run at the Iverton Playhouse in Iverton, Connecticut, which is a sneeze away. You know, you, you sneeze and you're the, the, that's the end of the, you starts <laughs> here, ends here. And, the, and the, that's the whole town, uh, but it has its little playhouse. And it was him and Joyce DeWitt from, oh, Three, wow. from Three's Company. Right. And two of them played aging seniors in an old age home who start off arguing and then, you know, have, and there's one beautiful scene where it's a dream sequence and they're no longer these old people in their wheelchairs, but they're dancing together and they're young again. And this show was funny. And it was, I never, I don't believe that it, I can't believe it never made it off Broadway or to a, a, a future run, but Mickey was amazing. So that's my thing that stands out. And I never mentioned that before, but the fact that you asked for some reason, my brain is working right tonight. My <laughs> story is I met him uh, years later thinking this is guy is so aloof. Do I really want to meet him? You know, he was that <laughs> reclusive that guy that I thought, all right, you know, if I do, I do, but I don't think I ever will. And sure enough, he was coming to a, the Ridgefield Playhouse in Connecticut. And mm. the theater called me because I'd done a lot of promotions and helped them in a lot of things, mostly Beatles. And they said, we haven't really sold out the Mike Nesmith show that's coming next month. I go, what is not really sold out? I mean, well, we sold 20 of the 800 tickets. What? Who are you advertising it to? And they go, well, our subscription base. I go, your subscription base is not where you need to sell the show. (laughs) Since then, I mean, they've had Mickey Dolan's and it's sold and they do really well. So anyway, long story short, it came close to selling out. I was very, I helped them as much as I could. And I said, uh, I already bought my tickets. I had front row tickets. I don't need tickets, you know? And they go, well, how else can we repay you? I go, Meet and greet. Hello. Yep. <laughs> Obviously. So I was the first one in line and I brought, can I run and get something? And you guys. Sure. Can talk about yeah. Sure, sure. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. He should join us every week. <laughs> so I brought this. Oh, come on. You can't see. Can we see this? How do we I kind of see it? Oh. Right, I'm going to unblur us because you okay. need to see this. Oh, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, <laughs> am I unblurred? All right, so there's yes. this monkey's drumhead, but it's wow. Mania. Why is it Monkey Mania? Because that was the name of the band I was in. Right. right. And I got Mickey to sign it. He was the first one. He wrote, I'm a believer. <laughs> Peter signed it and he wrote, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's guys, awesome. This is all happy and positive. The sad thing is, I didn't get Davy to sign it because I was close to Davy and I spoke to him all the time. And I thought, no rush. I'll, right. get, I'll get this to him eventually. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, Mike, I'm the first one in line and they say he's only signing the program book. 
and if I guess I guess my face, I, I don't know what it was, but Nez goes, no, I'm going to sign that too. The other guys are all going to sign that. I said, well, more importantly than that, can I hug you? As, fortunately, it's pre-COVID. Right, yeah. right. No COVID bu- bubble. And he said, bring it in. And someone took pictures of it. Thank goodness. And he hugged. And it was like, it was, it was like, it was like hugging an uncle that I yeah. had never, that I didn't know as well as I should have. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and it was really funny because kind of from that point on, I saw him differently and it wasn't too long before he de- definitely embraced monkeydom. And you could see it in those last shows, how much he appreciated the fans appreciating him and he got it. Yeah. yeah. It took a long time. Um, and, and I don't know if part of it was him feeling he was above it or it was just, you know, I've got 50 chapters in my life. That was just one chapter, but it somehow became um, 40 chapters. It somehow became an important part of his life. And right. thank, God, thank God it did. And thank God we had him as long as we did. And that last tour is just a testament to how much it was important to him to, you know, entertain for the fans. Yeah. Um, so that's my story. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been incredible. You've been, you have so many, so many great stories. We definitely want to talk to you again when we get a chance and, and, and hear the rest of them and, and pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah. To my show. Uh, yes, absolutely. It, it plays on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time. It repeats Saturday night at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, the same show, four times to hear it. And, you know, I'll get on someone like, you know, Ron Dante from the Archies or Bobby Harder, Bill Chadwick. I'll get on these people and people will discover it, you know, during, next week and say, hey, how could I listen to it? You can't. It's when it's on, <laughs> unless I we somehow do encore shows. So try to listen every week and you'll, you'll hear something new. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's not as fun as, as your show because I'm the one <laughs> interviewing and I'm the one getting interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> well, where else can people find more of what you're doing in your books and things like that? What you would never ask. So for the Beatle, <laughs> Beatle tours, it's liverpooltours.com. Uh, the book the book of top 10 horror lists. It's on Amazon. Um, if you want to get a signed copy, the website is book of top 10, the number 10 horror list. Oh, I can show it now, right? Yep. <laughs> book of horrorlists.com. <laughs> and uh, the, the I, you just tune into monkey mania radio on live 365.com. And I have too many other things to promote. People won't, people will be overwhelming if I give 700, 700 more. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. Where can people find more of you, Elaine? I am on Twitter at Monkeying Around, um, Facebook at Monkeying Around, our discussion group, uh, Monkeying Around Discussion Group. <laughs> uh, we are now on Instagram mm-hmm. at Monkeying Around Podcast, and our email is monkeyingaroundpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Awesome. How about us, Chuck? Feltnerdy.com. And Earth Station Trek, our podcast about Star Trek. All right. Thanks for monkeying around. (laughs) Thanks for monkeying around with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. I wouldn't be too happy about that. That'll be bad. But we won't. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.